As people continue to come in, we've been working our way through morning prayer. This is our last week on morning prayer and then we're going to spend the next three weeks in December before we close out our class, Collective Sigh of Sadness. Aww. Before we close out our class, I know it's just riveting, studying the prayer book, right? I actually think it is. Um, but you know, one could say from the outside, why are we doing this? Well, hopefully it's enlivening worship a little bit. Um, this is our last week on morning prayer. We start Holy Communion for the next three weeks. The reason we're spending four weeks on morning prayer and three weeks on Holy Communion isn't because Holy Communion is less important, for goodness sake, but it's because there's a lot of repetition. I mean, there are certain elements of worship that we'll revisit, but not in the level of detail that we did in morning prayer. So we'll be able to focus on those unique aspects of the communion liturgy and hopefully answer any questions. But before we do that, uh, I had a friend or an acquaintance online come up with this really cool graphic that's very helpful. And s- since this is the first Sunday of Advent, I thought it, it would be good to uh, to see this as a way of thinking about the church calendar year. Um, and if you look at it, the whole circle is one cycle through the year. And by the way, if you are a Christian, Happy New Year. Today is the first day of the new year. You know, one of the challenges of being a Christian in our post-Christian society is allowing God to set the agenda of ordering our time, not to the world, you know. And so you and I are just wired to feel New Year's at January 1st. But I will tell you, today is New Year's Day. It's, it's the first week in Advent. It means that we start the cycle of walking through. And I love the way that this puts it. For half of the year, it's the story of Jesus. And the other half of the year, It's the story of the people of God, ordinary time or the time after Pentecost, right? Some people call it the the season of Pentecost. It just kind of varies. But what I want you to take away from this is in addition to the gospel shape of worship every week where we walk through uh, God's glory in the beginning of worship to the gravity of sin in confession to the moment where God declares his grace to us and we hear these words of law and gospel again and again. Over the course of a year, we're walking through a big arc of the narrative and the life of Jesus. From his heralding to his birth, to his revealing in Epiphany, to his ministry and his wandering in the wilderness, his fast. You know, we're sort of living an embodied journey of Christ's life on earth to Easter and to Ascension and Pentecost and all those kinds of things. And then after that moment, that's when Jesus gives the church his Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry, you know, to go forth. And so I love how this kind of gives us a vision of those along with some of the, the historic symbolic colors of the season. Uh, so hopefully that helps a little bit. If you want this graphic, uh, shoot me an email and I'll send it to you. Zach, Z-A-C, at cathedraladvent.com. So... I want to remind us of our two goals of our prayer book class that that we have every time. The first is our goal here with the prayer book class is to help us better connect head and heart. And the second is to tune our ears to hear the gospel in worship. I hope every week a little bit more that you've been able to hear the gospel in worship. The heart of the prayer book, the whole goal of both the morning prayer and Holy Communion liturgies that we utilize on a Sunday morning is to do this, to unleash the Word of God, to convert the heart through the power of the Gospel. You know, a lot of people say that the etymology of liturgy is the work of the people, and that's partially true. But um, 
You could also say that it's etymology being the connection of two words, work and people. Could also be understood as God's work on the people. Right? And so I think there's actually some of both going on. And in fact, the liturgy is principally God's work, the Word of God, going out to mess with your heart, <laughs> to hopefully uh, expose its, its fraudulent behavior, expose all those things that, that the heart needs exposure for, and then give the heart the gospel, the Word of God. Just like in Ezekiel, uh, when God prophesied that one day I would send my spirit and I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I would describe that that's what the purpose of our worship is, is to take out your heart of stone that is always hardening again and again and needs to be more fleshly. So I love that while we began, we began worship today with uh, all these scripture readings and songs that kept on saying, wake up. You know, that's what you get the first week of Advent is wacht auf in German. Wake up, right? Wake up, sleeper. Those are the words that bring life. Lazarus, rise from the dead, come out of the tomb. Talitha, kum, get out. You know, wake up from the dead. The, the job of a worship service is to tell dead bones live and then cause it to be so. Like, it's nothing short of that kind of stuff. And I know that it feels like mere ritual. But the ritual is designed actually to get out of the way so that that work happens. Okay. I want to remind you of the journey of morning prayer. It's a journey to God's heart and back into the world from God's heart. Because we've experienced God's heart, we're ready to go forth. And so we're going to be spending today focusing on this part as we close out morning prayer. And we'll have to zoom through it a little bit because um, we're a little bit behind. But last week we ended with talking about the Apostles' Creed. It follows at the end of the cycle of the Word of God being read. And you know that dialogue that ensues? The reading of the Scriptures, then we respond with a song. Reading of the Scriptures in response. There's this dialogue that goes back and forth between God and His people. Meant to show us how when we're engaging the Word of God, it sort of prompts us to pray. But ultimately, at the end of this whole cycle, comes this creed. Why? Because according to the Reformers, according to Paul, the Word of God, is active and living and does what? It births faith. And the Apostles' Creed is a summary of our faith. I believe. Belief and faith are the same words in Greek and Hebrew, not like English where they're separate. They're the same words. So when we say I believe, we're saying I faith this as a result of the Word of God birthing this in me, all right? Okay, so we get to this moment right after that where we have these words that we speak often. And what I want to do is uh, read to you a little bit just about that. When we say the Lord be with you and with thy spirit, I actually didn't give you that part of the handout because it was in last week's handout. But those are scriptural things. There's this moment if you read the end of Ruth where uh, Boaz is welcoming some people into town. And he says, the Lord be with you. That was a very ancient way for the people of God to greet one another. Is not to say hello, not to say, hey, what's up? It's to say, the Lord be with you. And to sort of name God and say, God be with you. And and with thy spirit is from uh, a part of Paul's letters where he, at the end of it, dresses and say, the Lord be with your spirit. Okay? Um, and so what I would say is besides the scriptural references to this moment, you notice that we often have these moments at, at a time when we're about to go to prayer. At a time when we're about to pray together. Um, and the idea behind this is that as the minister says these words, 
we're coming into prayer with some solidarity. So when I say the Lord be with you and you respond and with thy spirit, we're basically saying for us to be able to do this prayer thing together. And by the way, it's our prayer. It's not just the minister's prayer, but it's everybody's prayer. We need the Holy Spirit to be present with us to help us to pray. Read Romans 8 sometime and you get a sense of the fact that the Holy Spirit is very present in our prayers to make them come alive because we don't even know what we ought to pray, Paul says. And so the Holy Spirit intercedes with us through groanings. And so the whole idea here is that, hey, as we're going to prayer, God be with you and be with you. Let's do this together. And so we all kind of go on our knees together. It's a, it's a chance to join prayer in solidarity. It's a moment where we speak peace to one another. And you can say that back to the minister and say it like you're owning it like, and with you. You know, if the Lord's with us and not with you. We're in trouble too, right? <laughs> so, all right. Um, again, we're entering into this moment at the tail end of this arc. And what I want to say is, as we've been thinking about it, the Word of God has been doing its work on us. Confession and absolution. And the Word of God is drawing us into the heart. We're at that final stage now. And so you can imagine, if you're coming close to God, you're starting to be able to sort of make direct requests of Him. You've heard from Him from afar in His Word, reading wonderful things to you. You've responded to Him and He's drawing you into His heart. So now we're in this moment where we're actually speaking words to Him. And what you'll notice about the succession of prayers in this moment is this. That as we get to that final stage, if you notice the the heart of these prayers, they become more intimate as you move along. The Lord's Prayer being that model of prayer, the suffrages which we'll get to, the colics sound a little bit more intimate. And finally, when we're praying these prayers of intercession, um, we're closest to God's heart, asking for the most personal and uh, ne- things that are just near to our heart. You know, And so it's a journey. It's a journey where God's drawing us in to the point we're at his breast, just like John the Baptist was leaning against the breast of Jesus, that kind of tender moment between the two. We're at the Father's heart. And we're able to say, Daddy, we need these things, right? That's the whole idea of that, of these successive moments. So we get to the Lord's Prayer. And it's a fitting way that right after we say, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit, let us pray. That we begin with this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Why? Because number one, it's the model of prayer. It's the model of our piety. All prayer that we do branches out and comes forth from the Lord's Prayer. It's what sort of sets the tone. It sets the the skeletal structure on which our prayers hang. You know, it sets the stage. And so you can see even in these various various sections that it's going through the full gamut of prayer from adoration to praying big kingdom prayers. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven to praying these, I need this, God, give us this, and I certainly need this, forgive me, forgive me, and preserve us, prayers of protection, and finally just prayers of adoration and giving back to Him. So it's the full scope, and we begin our prayer with this kind of hallmark, hallmark of prayers. Right after this moment, we have what are called the suffrages, and they're called suffrages because in in uh, older English, one would say these kinds of prayers by saying, Suffer, O Lord, to show your mercy upon us. Suffer, O Lord, to endue your ministers with righteousness. It was things that God in old English suffered to do. 
It was things that God longed to do from his heart, you know, from his passion. Do these things for us, O God. And so you even hear it's starting to get a little more intimate. But check out the fact that these are all from the Psalms. There's nothing really original except maybe this one line, Lord, keep this nation under thy care. Great line. Uh, but it's just not directly from the Psalms, but everything else is. And that's in your handout, uh, so you can see. The suffrages are arrow prayers. They're short petitions shot up to heaven in rapid fire. Look at the range of topics we pray through in a short amount of time. We pray for salvation and mercy. We pray for our ministers, which, thank God, that's in there, right? (laughs) We pray for peace and safety for the world and for our nation. We pray for the poor and the needy. And we pray for sin and cleansing. We get through a lot of topics. And if you notice how we pray during the prayers of the people or the prayers of intercession a little bit later, these themes are starting to be brought up because we're going to revisit them for our local assembly and our nation. But it's kind of preparing our hearts to think along these lines of what kind of requests do I bring to my Father who hears me? Oh, these kinds. Uh, and they happen to be from the very word of God. So again, even our response to God, even our prayers to God, I'm harping on this again and again, are God's gift to us. us because the word is the very uh, quote that we pray. It's the very language of our prayer, are the Psalms. And so God gives these things to us. In the suffrages, we are making requests of the Father, but not as intimate as later, the prayers of intercession. They serve to focus us in. And then we get closer in this moment to the collects. Okay? A collect. What in the world is that? We don't use this word anywhere. We use the word collect, which is helpful, but we don't use the word collect in modern day and age as a noun, right? A collect is a short, compact prayer. That's the idea of it. Um, And I think that when you see the word collect, I'd encourage you to think along two lines. Number one, it's meant to start collecting and gathering up the prayers of the people in preparation for the intercessory prayers to follow. So the suffragists have tuned our hearts and it's kind of made our minds go in certain directions. Poor, you know, I think of the person I know that I, I hang out with. His name's Glenn every week at our Thursday service. Or I think of the people that I regularly encounter on my walks to lunch downtown. And it's starting to collect and gather those disparate thoughts, right? And the collects are meant to, to give us a little bit of a sense of focus. Uh, as we go into the prayers of intercession, we're ready to, to sort of lay our heart out on the line. So think of collect in that way. But I also think that the collects are wonderful if you're really praying them to collect the pieces of your own heart. The pieces of your own heart that still feel a little bit discombobulated and need some centering. These are just wonderful, again, compact, but filled uh, with beauty and, and power in what they say. And I want to show you just the general structure of a call. Even though they're very short, they often follow, you'll, you'll notice they have a certain rhythm and a cadence and a sort of, they follow a certain set of ideas, however short or long within the few sentences that they are. And they start with an invocation. O God, or O Holy Spirit, or O Father, something like that. An acknowledgement, O God, who, X, Y, Z, this is true about you, right? A petition, give us this, grant us this, help us with this. And an aspiration, with the result that we may do X, you know? 
pleading through the merits of Jesus Christ, just in case it wasn't clear that the only way we're going to pray this is through Jesus. So two examples of, of two collects that we often pray in this moment um, that are favorites of ours at Advent partially because they were the ones that Cranmer prescribed and the only ones he prescribed besides the collect of the day. It was always these two. Our prayer book in 1979 has many more options, but uh, these two were, were the ones that Cranmer always had being prayed at morning prayer. O oh God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life. And I love this line. Whose service is perfect freedom. That's a good word. The reformers wanted us to remember that as God works in our heart, the law, um, the law of God becomes our life. And on the other side of our simultaneously just and sinner existence will come a day that we're heralding in Advent, where you and I, remade anew by Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, will find no divisibility between what we want to do and the law of God. Because what our hearts desire by the power of the Spirit will be the law of God. And it will be beautiful and our desires will go... Right now, you and I are in this simul justus et peccator existence where the flesh is battling the Spirit and we feel that division. I don't want to do your law, O God, all the times, right? One day we will know this. One day we will know that, that this is actually true. God's service is perfect freedom. Right now, because we're messed up, God's service feels like bondage. It's backwards. The law feels difficult to do. But there will be one day when His service will feel like perfect freedom. And so we're hoping and living into that day. Defend us, thy humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, the petitions. We've got a lot of enemies, O God. Defend us, that we surely trusting in thy defense. This is our, our aspiration. May not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might, you know, notice how whatever it is, whether it's through the merits or something else, it's kind of tied to whatever the theme. And this is a theme of warfare, you know, a call it for peace. We need peace, O God. Jesus, by your power, you fight for us. So you'll hear, see the structure of a collect that's there. Here's the other one, and here's the structure, the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Have you ever noticed that even the fact that you wake up and you're breathing, it is a gift? I think those of us who have had... <laughs> have had loved ones who God has taken, who have died prematurely or maybe just ever, start to have a general sense of this at the beginning of a day more, a more profound sense of the giftedness of breath and life right when you wake up. Defend us in the same way, in the same way that you brought us safely to the beginning. Keep that defense up. We're only there by your power and grant that this day we fall into no sin. God have mercy that that be the case and neither run into any kind of danger. <laughs> it's funny. I, I love that it's not, we don't stumble into danger. We tend to run to it, right? And God is like, hold me back, you know, put a collar around me and keep me away from that danger. But that we being ordered by thy governance. Ah, I love that. I love that. Because you, you're sort of holding us in place and guiding us to may do always what is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So again, in these collects, you see our hearts are being gathered and prepared for these petitions. These are getting more intimate because we're saying very clear and compact things to God. Um, And I just would encourage you with this. One of our former deans has written, uh, along with one of the other ministers here, Fred Barbie, Paul Zoll, has written a great short book that's in our in our bookstore, really accessible through the collects of Thomas Cranmer. And so there's a collect for each week. And it has the collect and a little bit of historical information and then a devotional reflection on that. I'd really encourage you that Anglicans have a unique gift in our spirituality that other people don't have, which are the gift of the collects. And I will tell you, other denominations are jealous. They're jealous of this. They say the collects are beautiful. We wish we had something like this in our tradition as well. And so they beg, borrow, steal, and pillage the collects from us, which we're okay with. Here you go. Here's a collect every once in a while. You know, I'll give you one, right? The collects are wonderful. They're a wonderful way to teach us how to pray in addition to the Lord's Prayer because of this kind of structure. And I'll tell you, if you start praying these sorts of things regularly, they start to shape the way that you talk to God. And it's beautiful because it's a, a little bit of a journey. And I'd say in addition to the Lord's Prayer, if you're ever stuck in prayer and just feel like you don't know what to pray, try one of these on for size and pause at each section and allow it to just sort of swim in your heart. When you say, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, God, I just praise you. You're strong and I think I forgot that. You're everlasting and sometimes I'm tempted to think that you don't go on forever and that you're really not here. So remind me of how big you are. You know, let them guide you in prayers like that. All right, moving right along. We hit the prayers of intercession. I want us to be clear that these aren't the prayers of the minister. These are our prayers. They're the prayers of the people. And though I or someone else am praying them, This is the time when our our prayers get most personal, where we're praying for sickness in our congregation. And what I love about this that you don't find everywhere is that we're praying for particularly eventful moments in life that sort of gather up what life means before God as a whole. We pray for births. We pray for deaths and the families associated. And we pray for marriages. Why? And what I would say, number one, as we're praying this, Amen them with us. Pray them with us and don't just sort of let it be a narration that's spinning around in your head, but pray them with us. We're praying for all these very real things in the life and ministry of our local church, from missionaries to what's going on globally, to our presidents, to our bishops, to everybody who just needs prayer, right? Um, pray them with us. Let them be the prayers of your own heart. Engage with them as you listen. Sort of mouth them, especially as you know the way that these prayers go. That's part of the reason that sometimes we interject these words. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer, right? It's to kind of check you and get you back in the, in the prayer mode, right? To be thinking and praying these kinds of things. And they truly are intercessions. This is where we're at the heart of the Father, asking for things that we need, you know? And um, I, I don't, just as a pastor... I understand that sometimes what's going on in our lives is very personal. But I'm always a little surprised when people are a little reluctant to to ask for their name when they're going through something heavy to be put in the prayers. When I'm going through something heavy, I want my church to know about it 
and I definitely want them to be praying. And it's almost as though the, the prayers of intercession are time to signal to our prayers, hey, these are the hurts and the needs in our congregation, right? And yeah, I get sometimes they're, they're too personal. But I would encourage you more often than not, avail yourselves of the opportunity to be prayed for by everybody in our flock, you know? Because we've got some prayer warriors, I will tell you, in our congregation who take what they hear home and pray them every day. And if we're looking for God to defend us throughout the week from dangers, from sickness, God actually chooses his work of defense to happen not in spite of, but through the prayers of his people. You see that God isn't just some sort of a sovereign despot that doesn't use us in his sovereign processes. That's why even as someone who believes strongly in the providence of God, who believes strongly that God controls all things and by his will everything happens, that's a loaded and big statement, but I read it in scripture, that God chooses even in those moments that we not be robots, but to use us in his providence. So that means when we've got something going on, he's going to prompt people to pray to actually affect the work that he chooses and has chosen to do already. It's not going to be in spite of us that he gets his work done. So as we hear these prayers for our missionaries, for what's going on in Syria and our Christian brothers and sisters being persecuted there, to uh, our, the folks that are sick, to people who are grieving the death of loved ones, all of these things should prompt us to go home and take these prayers into our, our homes uh, and everything else, which is why that we do have ways of, of publicizing some of these things that go on. If you contact our office, we can get you some of the things so that maybe as you gather with your families, <laughs> you can pray for these people in our congregations and help your kids or uh, people in your household know what these prayers are, are all about. The elements of our prayers uh, of intercession, this is what you'll regularly hear. Comfort for those who are in need of healing. Oh, and comfort and sucker, right? What a weird word. My kids always laugh at that word. Understandably, right? Um, sucker is another, another way of saying um, comfort or provision. Cranmer was... Uh, Cranmer believed in the power of language being doubled up and using synonyms, which is why in our prayers you hear lots of uh, things being said two or three times. Our manifold sins and wickednesses, you know, uh, all those kinds of things, precisely because we sort of need different angles at hearing that. But sucker is an old word. That's weird a little bit for us. But it's a, it's a loaded word. It actually means more than comfort. It means uh, to provide for, to 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 give to, you know, petitions for global concerns, the church in other countries, wars, persecuted Christians, missionaries we support, petition for national and regional concerns, our bishop, our elected leaders, you know. And what I love about our prayers is that, thank God, they're nonpartisan. <laughs> thank God. Because we're, we're, Scripture doesn't command us, pray for your democratic leaders in office. Pray for your Republican leaders in office. Pray for your Libertarian leaders. They don't say that. It just says, pray for those who are in authority over you, right? They need our prayers. They need our prayers. Thanksgivings and prayers for major life events in our local congregation. So this is the shape. And even, even in our prayers, they're kind of honing in from the global to the local. Not, not completely, because we often start with this sort of comfort stuff, but we're getting nearer and nearer to the, the heart of this kind of thing. All right. Yep, I said that already. Okay, the general thanksgiving. This is just a great prayer. 
it's the wrap-up prayer. It's the one that at the end of this journey of prayer that we've taken to the heart, sums it all up. I want to point out a few things that I just love about this prayer. We do give the most humble and hearty, heart-filled thanks for all thy goodness and loving kindness to us and to all men. We bless thee for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. Huge theological statement there. We're not deists. We don't believe God set the world in motion and let it go. See how it does, you know. God not only created us, He preserves us, right? He's intimately involved in all the workings of earth. Thank God. But above all, we thank you for all those things, but above all, I love this line, but above all for thine inestimable love. I can't even estimate, approximate just how great your love is because I just heard it. We've been journeying through worship this far and I, I just heard it. In the redemption and it's defined. It's not just Oprah random God is love stuff. You know, it actually, love has a name and an action. The redemption of the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how thine inestimable love, O God, is shown to your people, is through the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks for the means of grace. What are the means of grace? They're things that God uses to give us his grace. The reading of the word, the things that we talk about, the preaching of the word, these gifted prayers that are scriptures, the sacraments. We give you thanks that you don't just leave us alone, but you actually not only preach the gospel to us, but then give us things to sustain our life, these means of grace. It's a very loaded word that was used a lot in the Reformation and after the Reformation, this this phrase, the means of grace. And for the hope of glory, if your back is hurting, this should be a very present groan for you, Okay. I give you thanks for the hope of glory that one day on the other side of this, my body's not going to hurt. One day on the other side of this, I'm not going to know any more death and pain and tears. You know, so look at how compact but beautiful. And we beseech thee, I love this, give us that due sense of all thy mercies that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful. That means without any guile, like without any, I don't want to be fake thankful. (laughs) I want to be really thankful, truly Give us that sense. Show me your mercy so much that I can't help but just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And that we may show forth thy praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives. So that means we've done a lot of stuff with our lips and a little bit with our bodies today. But as we go forth from worship, you know, we're ending the first half of of the worship service here. Uh, As we go forth in worship, we want to let this praise that we feel, this unfeigned thankfulness to show forth in our lives by the way that we live our vocations unto you and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness, the fruits of the gospel all the days of our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, only with him, whom with thee and the Holy Ghost, it's a Trinitarian action, be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen. So let's bless the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? Boom. Beautiful. And then there's a word, a word of grace given to us. A Trinitarian ending. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you. This moment is really the punctuation mark and the amen of the first half of Advent's morning prayer. If you look in your prayer book, this is where morning prayer actually ends. But we add on the sermon and everything else. So I want to jump to that. The welcome is an important symbolic moment because at the end of this first half, we kind of split morning prayer into two halves. The word read 
and the word preached. All right. At the end, we have this moment where we're welcoming one another and sometimes we will greet one another and pass God's peace. What's the significance of that? What's the significance of being welcomed finally after this moment? It's because reconciliation with one another, symbolized when we greet one another, only happens after we're reconciled to God. You know, as Christians, that's a good word to remember. That if we're looking for this kind of cultural reconciliation to occur, it first we've got to realize it only hinges on our ability to apprehend and hear through the power of the Spirit the gospel, right? And so this moment of welcoming one another and blessing our kids really only comes after we've heard and journeyed through this reconciliatory work between us and God. And then we're able to stand and prepare our hearts. And just as in the cycle of Scripture readings, hear the hymn following this welcome and following this cycle allows us yet again to sort of devotionally prepare our hearts by focusing our minds and hearts and stirring our affections to hear the word of God preached, right? One of the early Reformation confessions, the second Helvetic confession from 1566, listen to this. This is pretty powerful. It says this, the preached word of God is the word of God. Not infallibly, not like scriptures are, but there's something powerful and special that God reserves only for the moment when a human being stands in a pulpit or stands before the scriptures, before the people of God, and declares out of those scriptures things to the people of God. It's a very, if, if you're charismatic and reformational, you should believe this is a very charismatic moment where the Spirit of God fills the people of God to do a mighty work of death and resurrection again in the sermon. The sermon is a very spiritual and powerful moment. The reformers believe strongly that God chose ordinary broken mouthpieces, human preachers, to do a miraculous work of displaying the glory of His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Preaching is a supernatural, earth-altering event in jars of clay. Because you're going to ask, why doesn't it feel supernatural? Because it's coming through a jar of clay mouthpiece. And it takes the eyes of faith and the ears given to us by the Holy Spirit to see just how earth-shattering the moment of preaching is. God chooses to reveal Jesus Christ to His world, especially in the moment of preaching. Think about that. Once Jesus left, He filled His Spirit, His, His church with His Spirit. And then He gave some the office of preaching, and then gave everybody the sub-office of being preachers. The ministry, you know, the priesthood of all believers. We are all preachers. And it's typified and exemplified in this moment of preaching. So it's a, it's a means of grace, as we said, where God strengthens and blesses His people. The offertory. Think about what... You know, in some churches, the offertory falls before the sermon. I guess because it's a uh, maybe the the pastor's like, hey, depending on how well you pay me, I'll, I'll, I'll preach a you know a decent sermon or a really good. I don't know what it is, but there's a there, for the reformers, there's a very specific reason why the offertory falls after the sermon. Can anyone guess why that is? Thanksgiving. 
Tell me about so you said Thanksgiving. Tell me about that. Thanksgiving for the for the received word of God. Yes, yes. Because again, what does the word of God do according to the reformers and Paul? The word of God births faith. The word of God births faith. And faith is the engine of good works. Right? So if there's going to be any offering of ourselves to God, which is what the offering is, I know it just feels like putting money in a plate to keep the lights on. I know it feels like maybe it's that one moment of entertainment where I get to hear the choir sing, you know, and, and get my, like, like I'm sort of paying for my ticket in to hear the choir perform. It's none of those things. God help us, okay? None of those things. The offertory is a chance to say, hear God, upon hearing and receiving your word, take all of me. So as you put money in a plate, as you see it pass by, use that as a symbol to say, I place my life in the alms basin. Take all of me, use me. Use me for your purposes and for your will and for your way. You know, I've heard your word and now I want to respond by giving you my all. That's the idea. The offertory isn't a time to be performed at or performed to. <laughs> it's not a time to make sure that we pay the church's bills, although it is. <laughs> um, it's a time to give ourselves to the Lord in response to the gospel, which is why you often hear these words, walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering, right? The idea is that you've heard the word that gives you faith and now you can say, yeah, I want to walk this way. I want to be this. Take my life and let it be. What do you think the impact of internet banking is on the offertory? Because I remember growing up, you always put your envelope right. in it. I think there's something powerful about the physical act of doing that, right? Yeah, and I and I know plenty of people that choose precisely not to do that because the the act, the physicality of it, is powerful. And so, if you are giving on internet, which, by the way, studies show, just to be honest, they actually help church budgets go up because sometimes people forget to give, you know. But when it's automatically drafted out of your account, we keep the we keep you know we keep things running around here. But there's a, you know you have to be aware if you're going to do that. Don't let that opportunity of seeing the alms basin and letting your life be given to God pass you by. And I think it's a great question. I'm all about, you know, anything that helps me to worship and connect a little better physically, because sometimes my soul and my mind and emotions are sort of hard uh, to connect with some of these things. All right. Breezing through. Closing prayer and bless blessing. Um, the ministers have the freedom to select from a wide variety of prayers, often uh, from pages 814 to 835 in the prayer book. But we often use this one that is there for you to read, but we don't have time to go over. But it's a wonderful summary of, God, we've heard a bunch of stuff with our ears. Impress them and change them in our hearts. You know, make us, uh, make us ready to hear this. And then when we dis, oh, sorry, the hymn in procession. It's this moment where everybody up front goes back out and take that as a symbol of, this is our time now. We're getting ready to go back into the world after being near God's heart and hearing God's heart. We're getting ready to process back into the world too to preach the gospel, which is why we say, let us go forth in the name of Christ. And we all say, thanks be to God, because there's a missionary call at the end of every worship. Read Isaiah 6 sometimes, sometime, and you'll get a sense that Isaiah's journey of encountering God's holiness ended in mission when Isaiah said, here am I, send me, right? So, that's the idea there. We're done with morning prayer. We don't have time to sing today. Great hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. God bless you. We'll start Holy Communion next week. Love you all. Thanks. Thank you.